Good morning, Fremont Community Church. It's good to be here with you this morning. We missed you last week. We were in D.C. for a family wedding, and it's good to be back on the West Coast. It was rainy and cold, and we're happy to be here. Um, <laughs> welcome to everybody who's joining us online. We're glad that you're here with us as well. I'm going to start the sermon today with a little bit of a different uh, flair. I'm going to ask uh, Yael to come up and join me on stage. He played drums for us the first time today. And everybody in this row right here, get up on stage. You don't have a choice. You're doing it. Get up here, Toby. Come on. Come on. You're doing it. All right. Who remembers? They I did not prep any of them. He, he, he maybe knows. Okay, everybody scoosh it on down so we can all see each other. All right, line up. Here we go. Okay, we, we are going to do an old-fashioned game of telephone. Who remembers telephone growing up, right? One person whispers into a person's ear a phrase. That person gets one chance to hear it and one chance alone. I will not repeat it. That person then tries to think of what they just heard and shares it with the person next to them. One chance to hear it and one chance alone. And we'll see if at the end of this, the message actually gets through. So I'm going to turn my mic off so that it's not ruined. And, uh, and I'm going to ask Yale to come towards me. And then we'll do this one at a time. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Don't try to listen now. Don't try to listen. All right, wait, everybody step this way so nobody cheats. Okay, come on over. Come on over, Nathan. No, just, just enough far away from Peter. Hey, cover it up. There we go. Brother to brother, this can't go well. All right, everybody, come move down, get some space so that when he whispers it, Kendall doesn't overhear. Now go ahead. Oh, gosh, I'm scared. I'm actually scared now of what, what they think it is. All right, give it a try. Give it a try. Yep, all right. Let's see, Toby. Okay. What did Toby just whisper into your ear, Kendall? Water makes the world wild. <laughs> Water makes the world what? Wild. Wild? Water makes the world wilt. Water makes the world wilt. Okay. Okay. Water makes What I actually said was an old thing I used to have to do in drama class. Much, <laughs> sorry, much whirling water makes the mill wheel work well. That's what I said. Nigat, water makes the world wilt. Not terrible, actually. But the message is a little bad. The water doesn't make the world wilt. It does the opposite. Let's give it up for these people here. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Sorry to put you guys on the spot. I just needed that. The reality of it is sometimes things get lost in translation. 
Sometimes a message gets passed from one person to another, and then by the time that gets passed to another, and then another, and then another, the original message has been obscured. And maybe the heart of it is the same, and maybe it's completely the opposite. And that is relatively normal when messages get passed from one person to another. And this is part of what's going on in the book of Galatians uh, as Paul is addressing the churches in Galatia because there have been people saying different messages. There have been people who've been spreading confusion and, and there's debate as to how much they're spreading confusion on purpose or how much they're just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus faithfully, but they've got their wires crossed. There are people who are spreading rumors about the Apostle Paul. They're trying to find ways to separate him from the other apostles um, to show that what he was preaching isn't what these guys are preaching. He's doing something new. And on the part of the Galatians, they're hearing, just like these guys, they're hearing these multiple messages and trying to make sense of it. They want to be faithful to Jesus, but they don't know which one is right, which one is wrong. How do I interpret these messages I'm getting? Which is coming uh, from Jesus? Which one is the truth? So Paul is trying, in the midst of all this confusion, to clear things up so that the message he preaches can come through clearly and so that no one can confuse it anymore. He is trying to clear these up, and that's a big part of what the book of Galatians is all about. And Pastor Will did an excellent job last week of kicking off this series with chapter 1. Today we're going to check into chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start with verses 1 through 10, which really continue um, what Paul is doing at the end of chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to Galatians 2. <clears throat> then, after 14 years, this is Paul speaking, I went up uh, again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a, a, re a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Those esteemed leaders are, are Peter uh, and, and James and John, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they, they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James Cephas, which is Peter's Greek name, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should, we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we would continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager, eager to do all along. So Paul is, is pushing back on a particular rumor that is spreading throughout the Galatian church. There, there's a rumor going around that he's not a real apostle. Peter, Cephas is his Greek name, I said, James and John, these three have been primarily doing mission amongst Jewish people. Paul calls them the circumcised, and he's doing that not because he likes to be awkward and bring up circumcision all the time, uh, but as Pastor Will pointed out last week, there were a group of Jewish people who were telling the non-Jewish, uh, the Gentiles, that in order to become true followers of Jesus, 
then they would need to get circumcised. They would need to become Jews first. The men would need to be circumcised. All of the people, uh, regardless of gender or age, would have to abide by kosher food laws. And they would need to stop associating with those Gentiles who didn't become Jewish first. This is what's going on. This is the pressure that the, the Galatian church is facing. They have this gospel that Paul has shared, and now they're hearing this other message that you must first become Jewish in order to become a follower of Jesus. These are the rumors. Paul is preaching a different gospel. That's what they're saying. He's preaching a different gospel than the ones of the true apostles, Peter, James, and John. How do we know that this, the real apostles, they're, they're sharing gospel amongst those who are Jewish, right? So the ministry that they're doing amongst these people looks very different. It looks very different from the ministry that Paul is doing because he's ministering to people in a different context with different backgrounds and different ideas of how the world works. So their methods change. The language is different and, and the ways in which they go about sharing the gospel change. But Paul is trying to show to them, I'm saying the same thing these guys are. My audience is different. And God has, has called me to reach a different audience. And so my methods, my language are going to be different, but I am preaching the same gospel. He goes to these, these pillars of the faith, these leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and he tells them all about what he's doing. He wants to make sure, is this in vain? Am I doing the wrong thing? And they just said, yeah, this is awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing and just, just don't forget the poor. We don't have any notes for you on the gospel you're proclaiming. It's the same gospel we're proclaiming. Paul demonstrates that though they had different contexts for ministry, they were in agreement. The gospel they preached was the same. The second thing that, that Paul does is he, he speaks for his reputation, uh, and he does it in a way that, that has nothing to do. It doesn't rely on men at all. He, he, he's not knocking James and John and Peter, when he says those so-called pillars of the faith, he's saying, that's fine. Those guys are great, but my reputation doesn't depend on them. I've been called by Jesus himself. And it's so important that, that, that Paul uses both of these arguments. First, it's important that, that if we're preaching something that's in opposition to the truth that Jesus himself proclaimed, then we're not preaching the truth, right? Being in line with faithful followers of Jesus throughout church history is important. We pass the, the faith from generation to generation, and we have a responsibility to make sure that we are carrying on the faithful teachings of Jesus. But on the other hand, we cannot always trust, just like Paul is trying to point out with the Galatians, we cannot always trust that the church in our context is a faithful expression of the truth of Jesus. So many times we want to be in line with God's people, we would be saying the same things across cultures and generations. And there have been expressions of the faith that haven't been faithful to Jesus. And in these times, we must recognize that God has given all of us who are in Christ the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to talk about this more and more as the book of Galatians goes on, that the Holy Spirit is the spark that lights the whole thing on fire. It's the, it's the thing that makes all of this new creation that God is up to through Jesus, this new thing he's doing, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it possible. So in the weeks to come, we'll talk more and more about the Holy Spirit. But he's given each of us in Christ the gift of the Holy Spirit to read the scriptures, to know the truth, and to speak it even when we have to go against the grain. You know, some quick examples of this. Uh, many of you know in American history, we had um, 
slavery is an institution for hundreds of years, right? And most of the people who owned slaves claimed to be Christians, and they would use scripture to justify their support of slavery. And there were other faithful Christians who would read the same scriptures and go, no, no, that's not right. That's not, that's not what Jesus is doing here. You've twisted it up for your own agenda. They would look at that Galatians 3, which we're going to dive into next week, the climax of the chapter, as Paul says that we are all one and equal in Christ. There will be no slavery in the eternal kingdom of God, and so there, there, can, no, there can be no slavery amongst God's people here and now. These abolitionist Christians, they, they look to the teaching of the Bible and how radically the early church lived out equality amongst all sorts of differences. How did they live out these truths? And so what they did is they called out their fellow Christians back to faithfulness to Jesus. They called the nation back to doing what is right. One other example that I think is really helpful, and obviously it's an extreme example, but it shows what happens when the church must speak out against the church. The same thing happened in Germany in the 20th century. German Lutherans started buying the Nazi rhetoric that Jewish people were the cause of all of the problems in Germany and throughout the world. They used books like Galatians. Yes, they used the same book we're studying right now to talk about the drama that happens when you try to integrate both Jewish and Gentile Christians. They read these books with the assumption that the Jews are the bad guys in these stories and in these letters. And if the Bible says that, if the Bible says they're the bad guys, then we can justify any behavior we want. We can make them our enemies. But it was Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who refused to go along with this a Lutheran pastor who said, I cannot go along with where my church is going. I have to object. I have to speak out. Ultimately, it would cost him his very life. He knew that Peter, James, and John were all partners in this new thing that God was doing. The book of Galatians, it's not about why Jewish Christians were wrong and why the Gentile Christians are right. That's got nothing to do with it. It's about the power of God to take enemies and make them friends. It's about the power of God to break down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles and turn them into one family under God our Father. So they pushed back. While most German Lutherans went along with this false teaching and the evil that came with it, many German Lutherans split and they risked their lives to proclaim the true gospel and call their fellow Christians back to Jesus to choose love over hate. And these are obviously major world history examples of this but you see what happens when people stray away from the teachings of Jesus. You see what happens when people take the gospel and make it something it's not. The church will constantly face dilemmas like the one the Galatian church were facing. How do we know this is true? How do we know, excuse me, how do we know what is true? That's the question they were asking then. That's the question we're always gonna be asking. How do we know what is true? And to that, I, I would say, well, we have to question this. Is it in line with, the faith, with, with what faithful Christians have been preaching for the last 2,000 years? There have been faithful expressions of Christianity all over the world for 2,000 years. The second question is, is it in line with the Gospels? When God became flesh in the person of Jesus who came to teach us what is at the heart of God to show us what faithfulness to God truly looks like. What's truth? Tell me, does it look like Jesus? That's how we'll know what's true. For Paul, that was enough. 
Like we just sang, Christ is enough for me. He wanted Jesus and he didn't need anything else. So let's look back to the, the passage here. Galatians 2, verses 11. When Cephas, again, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. We got an apostle fight. Good old-fashioned apostle fight. Let's go. Before certain men came from James, James was the head of the church in Jerusalem, so he would be the one sending people out to see what's going on in the church, right? Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the other Jews. Uh, uh, yeah, from the Gentiles, excuse me. He began to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Paul's closest friend here gets led astray by this. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. This exchange is not Paul trying to tell everybody, I'm the real deal, Peter's phony. This is not him saying, I got the right answers, nobody else does. He's trying to help us understand what's going on in this church. He's trying to help us understand how do we apply the gospel appropriately in the Christian community. This exchange is so important to the understanding of the whole book of Galatians. Paul's biggest concern for the Galatians is, yes, stay away from false teaching. Why? Because the fallout of false teaching is catastrophic. When he witnessed Peter changing his behavior, he's horrified. And here's Peter who should know better. You see, while, while Paul is just figuring out his new faith in Jesus, Acts chapter 9, tells us all about Paul's encounter with Jesus that transforms him into a follower of Jesus. It's rad radical. It's amazing. And while he's figuring out what this new life in Christ is about, Peter has this amazing vision. Acts 10. God comes to him in a vision. And through this vision, he's shown that Jesus isn't just for, for Jews. He also is welcoming in the Gentiles. He has this incredible exchange with this man Cornelius and and all of a sudden, he, he shares the gospel, and all of these people, these Gentiles, have this experience where they accept Jesus, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and it looks so much like Acts 2, Pentecost, it looks so much like Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came down on the Jewish people, the Jewish believers in Christ, that Peter's amazed. He's like, what's going on? We thought this was just for us. But look, they're, they're having the same experience we had. What is going on here? And all the other people that are witnessing are saying, God is doing something brand new. They receive the Holy Spirit. Everything has changed. And now Peter is out there going to give an account. He's got to go back to Jerusalem and say, hey, here's what happened. Don't get mad at me. But I let the Gentiles in. <laughs> and obviously it was God who let the Gentiles in. But Peter is saying, God is doing something new here. He even goes so far as to have them baptized that day. It is Peter, not Paul, who initially leads the church to include Gentiles. And Peter has crossed major boundaries. He went into a Gentile's home. That wasn't allowed before. He baptized these Gentiles and he didn't make them get circumcised first. That didn't happen before. Without the events of Acts 10, Paul would have no ministry at all. 
because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's ministry is built on this thing that happened through Peter. And now Paul is describing the story of Peter out in the Gentile mission field, and he's heartbroken by what he's seen. Before, before the men are sent from James, Jew and Gentile function as equals. Both have cultural reasons to look down on one another. For Paul, the fact that, that we are seeing this Jesus experiment working, we're seeing the Gentiles and Jews sitting together around a table as equals. They're trying to disregard all the reasons that they're supposed to distrust one another. They're sharing life. They're sharing table fellowship. For Paul, this is nothing short of a miracle. This radical community of shared life and equality is all the evidence a watching world should need to demonstrate the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Paul, it's not just that they accept the truth. It's that it, it makes all of this different. It transforms everything. This is what's going to change the world when they see this happen. And Peter takes it a step backward. The peer pressure he feels from the people sent by James has caused him to sit at the cool kids' table and ignore the Gentile Christians. He sends the message, intentionally or unintentionally, that if they are real Christians, they're going to become Jewish first. And so Paul calls Peter out. And he calls everybody who follows example hypocrites. He's saying, you live one way before this audience, but in front of this audience, you live a different way. You preach the gospel and instruct, instruct others how to be faithful to Jesus, and then you live in unfaithfulness. Now, our, our cultural issues and our personal issues today aren't the same as the church in Galatia, but this message is for us today. This is a message of conviction. We have to ask ourselves, when I am at church, am I being myself or am I playing a character? Is who I am at church the same person I am at home? at school, at work? When the audience changes, do I change? Recently, I read about a, a Christian softball league uh, for men. And it was specifically meant to have like an environment where they could do, you know, Bible study, where they could, you know, be at a part of a softball league that, that you know, shared Christian values, that type of stuff. But they invited non-Christian friends to come. And the, the, the problem came when the non-Christians started noticing, hey, these Christians behave far worse than any of the rec leagues I play in. They're picking fights. They're talking trash. They're cheating. Like, I, what's Christian about this league? I don't get it. That was the response from the non-Christians. This is a silly example, but it, it demonstrates all the many ways that we can talk about faithfulness to Jesus, but if we don't live it out, the words are meaningless. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we acknowledge this. We all make hypocrites out of ourselves in one way or another, right? We're not perfect. Those of us who, who proclaim Jesus, we can't fully live up to his standard, and so there's sometimes we're gonna put our feet in our mouth. We, we just have to acknowledge that's true. But it's the willingness to admit when we're wrong and get back on the right track that demonstrates God's transforming power and his mercy. But too often, Christians, we live a double life. We proclaim the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but depending on our audience, we may or may not follow in his footsteps. This is why Paul got so upset with Peter. He's saying, brother, you know the truth. You know that the gospel has torn down all of the old divisions. You know that our ability to make it work with Gentile and Jewish believers is the most impactful example 
of the power of the gospel. And yet here you are turning your back on all of that. You're turning your back on the gospel so that you can have a seat at the cool kid's table. Your actions are proclaiming a different gospel than the words you have spoken. For Paul, truth isn't just important because the key to life is to believe all the right things. No, for Paul, truth is important because it shapes us in a way that demonstrates who Jesus is. When the gospel takes root in a people, especially a group of people who have a laundry list of differences in their backgrounds, their ethnicity, their religious background, their language, their social class, etc. When the gospel takes root in a diverse group of people like this and we go from being strangers to family, this is when the world takes notice. The world doesn't take notice because of our knowledge or our logic or our proclamations of the truth. Jesus himself said, it will be known when we demonstrate our love for one another. That's what he said. The gospel isn't some philosophy or way of thinking. It's the truth about Jesus that is embodied in a people and lived out in community. One more time to Galatians 2, verse 15. This, this is one of those passages you have to read like six times. And uh, Pastor Ty is going to untangle some of this because this conversation keeps going. When he preaches this to us next week, he's going to untangle a lot of this. But I want to kind of give some background before we really dig into that. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Galatians, read that as sarcasm. I'll tell you why in a minute. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It is a tongue twister passage. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me for himself I do, not set aside, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let me read that last thing again. For if righteousness could, uh, could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There's a lot of repetition in there. There's a lot of law and faith and righteousness, and that's chapter three. There's a lot to unpack there, and we're gonna get there. But Paul summarizes his main argument in verse 21. If if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He's saying that what James and Peter and John would all know, even as faithful Jews, we had the law. If the law was good enough to save us, if it was good enough to transform us, if it was good enough to bring about the new creation, the reconciliation that God is working for in the world, then we wouldn't need a Messiah, a Savior to begin with. Why would we need the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus if the law could get the job done? Paul does what he always does, and he does what we should always do. It's all about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. And despite what the factions at play in the Galatian church might have you think, there isn't a Jewish gospel and a Christian gospel. There is one gospel in Jesus Christ who is the fulfillment of all the Jewish scriptures. 
The law was a placeholder, and now we have Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I love what Paul says in verse 19 and 20 here. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Such a great passage. He's saying that I used to live under this old identity marker as a Pharisee, a faithful Jew, a law keeper, but I wasn't really alive. Now my identity is found in the crucified and resurrected Jesus, the Son of God. It's in him that I have faith. He gave himself for me. The old me is dead, but the resurrection life of Jesus is mine. Now I can truly be alive. This is such good stuff. And I can't wait for Ty to unpack it even more because there's just so much richness in the book of Galatians. But as I wrap it up, I want to talk about why this really matters to Paul. We talk a lot about context here. These verses are so rich, but when you dig into the context in which Paul is, is coming from, they're even more rich. Paul was a Pharisee. I've mentioned that already. He was a member of this Jewish sect, the Pharisees, that was all about strict adherence to the Old Testament law. He took very seriously the enforcement of this law, all the way to the point of persecuting Christians. Because he saw his Jewish brothers and sisters putting their faith in Jesus, and he could not stand to watch it. So he even oversaw the execution of Stephen and probably others. There was a book of, of Psalms, a book of Psalms that was not included in the Jewish Bible, um, and it's not included in the Bible that we, we have today that we read from, but it's called the Psalms of Solomon, not to be uh, confused with the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. These Psalms were written by Pharisees, and they have an extreme view of Gentiles. And most of us, I would assume, are Gentiles in here. They did not like us. Gentiles are the bad guys. They are God's enemies. And this perspective makes sense when you take history into consideration. Gentile nations have conquered Israel, they've desecrated their temple, and they've persecuted God's people. And so these Pharisees hate Gentiles. And so, yeah, we are going to stick close to the law because that's what we do. And we are going to eat kosher, and we are going to circumcise our male children, and we are not going to associate with those nasty, nasty Gentiles. We just won't do it. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright in his commentary on the book of Galatians, he points out that certainly Paul would have read these Psalms and as a Pharisee, he would have agreed with their perspective. He would have hated Gentiles. And then Paul encountered Jesus. Here's what is so fascinating to me. The words that Paul is using in his arguments in the book of Galatians, they're direct quotes from the Pharisee Psalms of Solomon. Phrases like people pleaser were used to describe Jews who cozied up with Gentiles. And this is the exact accusation people are making against Paul now, the former Pharisee who's cozying up with the Gentiles. Paul uses other phrases, sinful Gentiles, lawbreakers. These were phrases that the Pharisees would have used to talk about straight from these Psalms of Solomon. When Paul talks about righteousness in these passages, He's not talking about righteousness in the kind of Greek way that the Western church thinks about him. He's thinking of righteousness in the terms of the way that Jewish Pharisees would have thought about it. He's not talking about behavior. 
He's answering the critics who, who see the world the way he used to see the world. The Psalms of Solomon talked of two categories of people, the righteous and the sinful Gentiles. The righteousness was not based on goodness, but was based on identity markers like circumcision, kosher food laws, and segregating from other people. This is why Paul is so passionate about what is going on in the Galatian church. He's saying to them, I used to think this way, but I found a better way. I found a gospel that is bigger than anything I could have imagined before. I found a gospel that is bigger than any of these identity markers that I used to carry. It set me free. It has brought me life. I'm not going back, and I'm not going to let you drag people back either. For Paul, he wants people to grab a hold of this gospel because it's the only one that leads to true life. And just as importantly, he wants the Galatians to know that the true identity markers of Jesus' people are not circumcision or segregation or ceremonial laws, it's love. The gospel Jesus preached, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins that we might have true life. God's love is the point of the whole story of the Bible. And it's fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, now we who are Jesus' people, we are to live that out in loving community. Loving community that is so radical that once mortal enemies can now be friends. That Jews and Gentiles share a table as equals. It's revolutionary for this time. This is the true marker of true, the truth and the power of, God, of the gospel. The true marker of the truth and the power of the gospel is that it transforms strangers into family. So as I close, I ask you this question. What does all this mean for us? As, an, as individuals, it means that what we believe is not the only thing that matters. Like Peter, we can have the right beliefs and live like hypocrites. This week, I, I encourage us all, let's look, let's keep an eye on ourselves, our motives, our words, our actions. Is the person I am at church the same person I am throughout the week in front of all these other audiences. For Paul, the word faith, the Greek word he used here is pistis, the word faith is best understood as allegiance. Are we living in faith, in allegiance to Jesus, walking the path of love? As a community, are we living in faithfulness, in allegiance, in commitment to one another? Or do we look for reasons to separate from others? Are we adding to the gospel, saying you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to have this opinion that I have or care about this thing that I care about or vote the way I vote or behave in all these certain ways. You gotta get your act cleaned up and then you can be safe. Then you can be part of our community. Or are we opening up our arms wide? Are we pointing people to see Jesus? and say he is all that matters. In him, we surrender all of our other identity markers and say that the truest thing about us is that because of Jesus, we are in God's family. If you wanna follow Jesus with us, come on. You're welcome into the family. And sure, we've got differences and we're gonna work those out. But we're gonna do it around the table 
over a meal as equals as family. And Jesus said time and time again, in one way or another, this is how the world will know that my gospel is good and true and has the power to transform. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to continue to worship together, but I just want to pray for us that we would be that kind of loving community, that we as individuals would practice what we preach, but that we as a community would show the world the transforming love of Jesus Christ that breaks down all barriers and welcomes anyone who wants to join. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come together today and, um, and we live in a place uh, that, that mirrors the divisiveness of the early church. We, we live in a, a place where it is even hard to have conversations about real things. We live in a, a, a context where uh, we don't argue in good faith. We just try to win. We live in a context where we assume the worst of other people. God, when we do that, we distort the truth of the gospel. And when we lose that, we, we lose the gospel and we have something else, some sort of works-based salvation. But God, we come today and say, it's only in you, Jesus. It's only in you that we have forgiveness of sins. It's only in you that we have life. God, the way that you've been so graceful and open-armed for us, let us be the same way to others, to each other. And Jesus, when we lose the gospel, we don't just lose the truth, we lose our mission. You sent us here to show the world that there is another way, a way that heals division, a way that, that leads people to a radical forgiveness and a loving community. God, help us to chase after that. Help us to grab hold of the gospel, to be shaped by it as a people and watch it transform the world around us. God, we love you and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.